I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to do that. That weird kadunk that yeah, lights well, going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All rather mysterious. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. If there's a family down the road who shaved their head in week two, and you thought he's fucking peaked too soon. No, that's, that's peaking. Yeah. yeah. That's um, cannibalism by week three. It's awful. Well, how do you normally begin? Do you just go. Hello and welcome to The Fear, a podcast about the overlap between comedy and horror. My name's Sarah Morgan. Hello. hello. <laughs> you right? I'm good. Uh, how are you? Uh, hello, listeners. Um, I know there hasn't been a podcast around these parts for <laughs> since, since the accident. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two things have happened. Uh, many things have happened. But two of the things that have happened. One, it's Halloween. Important. And number two... My friend, the screenwriter and now author, Will McLean, has written a book, a spooky book. Hooray. Sorry. <laughs> and we're here to celebrate it with gentle, mm. <laughs> slightly <laughs> low expectations. Really? Hooray. British enthusiasm as so, well. Yes, that's good. Every episode of The Fear, uh, I ask uh, a funny person whose work I admire to come on and talk about what scares him. And I asked them to bring in three things, a fear from their childhood, their favourite scary moment from film or TV, and a fear or phobia they live with now. And we unpack those three things in a hopefully judgment-free environment. For Will McLean, author of The the Apparition Phase, available in all all bookshops. All bookshops. All of Good bookshops. ones, bad ones. <laughs> Different ones. Yes, um, I am two-thirds of the way through it. And, good. And it's I'm... very good. It's very good. I you did can, it's unput downable, I would say, but I've had to put it down to talk to you, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. That's a very that's the best adjective yeah. I can hear, really. That's marvellous. So yeah, I I do. I love horror. Um and I, I'm not you know, people go, Oh, you, you must be an expert. I, no, no, I'm not an expert. There are experts. We know a lot of experts in these kind of things, and they're all too many really experts lovely. these days. Oh, and they all, well, yes, um, <laughs> and they all, but they all know what they're talking about, and it's like, I, I just like it. I like the feel of it. I like that in horror. We'll come to this later, but you can tell ambitious stories, and you can tell interesting stories, and you can tell them in a way that's more direct or more coded. That you, know, you can turn the volume up and down on them. They're just malleable and they're brilliant. And I really the opportunities to to do that are great. So, I mean, my 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 big question is really sort of what inspired you to write this particular story because it's clearly grounded in I'm assuming a, a bit of realism of your childhood, a, a childhood we kind of share. I think you're yes. a, you're a little bit older than me, uh, yeah. but I grew up in the 80s. You grew up in the 70s, but we both have a shared overlap of things like. 
the Osborne Book of Ghosts. We do. The book makes me sound older than I am because I was born in 73. So I'm ah. not, a lot of the stuff is like, it's not, you know, it's a folk memory of the 70s. But, um, but there's so much uh, yeah. stuff as it was. I mean, you know, I grew up in the stuff I remember vividly is stuff that happened in 1982 and I couldn't possibly have seen. But you have, yeah. these, as you say, the almost ghost memories or a half remembered <laughs> thing or apocryphal playground mm. versions of, uh, of, of these things. And they've become more powerful because of that. Uh, Bob Fisher at the 14 Times wrote this brilliant article called The Haunted Generation. It was about the last analogue generation. So people, as we were talking about just then, you know, if you watch something on television, there was no guarantee you would ever see it again. Mm-hmm. So your memory of it was really important. Mm-hmm. And that's gone. That feeling has gone. The, the media itself is haunted. It's a haunted thing. Um, and he wrote this brilliant article about this. And there was the next month, the, you know, there was dozens of letters. The, the reaction to it was incredible. Mm. And I just thought, God, people really, you know, they... They don't know this as well as I thought they did in terms of, because a lot of people were, you know, like, oh, I remember, half remember this thing. And it was like, well, yeah. I remember when Phil Cool's head exploded doing a Paul Daniels impression and it haunted my dreams, or Kenny yes. Everett feeding himself into a mince, a mince, yeah. mincing machine. Those are two Please. of them. That's just two off the top of my head. There's so no, many of those. And those two, I remember people telling me about the playground the next day, just yeah. going, you know, because I, I missed one of them. I think I saw <laughs> the Everett one and they were just going, Phil Cool's head. And I was like, there's no way they would broadcast that and it's like you know and then it becomes a massive thing in your mind and it's you know it's it's, that that was all gone because you can just send it to someone and they can watch it instantly yeah you know so those those that whole lag between what you saw Mm. and then what you think you saw all that it does tie in very explicitly to ghosts there's a um and there's a lot been written about this mark fisher particularly is you know rest his soul is is very eloquent about the connection between analog media and ghosts and the way we remember things and Mm. the usefulness as a ghost as a metaphor for how we understand things and um of that particular vintage um and there's a woman called kirsten galano who wrote a brilliant book called high static deadlines which is specifically about audio hauntology and recording you know which is um yeah so basically he wrote we get onto the stone tape this is going to we we will (laughs) but the stone tape features as does many other kind of spooky in in the book so the plot for for listeners who uh, might be tempted to go and get this um i uh was stuck on how to begin this thing and then i called my sister and we were chatting about that article and we remembered that we faked a ghost photograph when we were kids or we were teenagers and it was crap. It was absolutely awful. <laughs> we did chalk something on a wall, but the, the end result was like really quite eerie. It looked really odd. You couldn't really tell what you were looking at. And then we just forgot about it for ages because that's where it, it, it's, it's divorced from what happens in the book. In the book um, is uh, twins called Tim and Abby and they are, unusual children uh who are obsessed with ghosts and folklore and esoteric interests and they share these very macabre obsessions or you know obsessions that other people think are macabre Um, yeah any anyone who listens to this podcast will probably empathize and identify a lot with their obsession exactly but you know obsessions that will mark you out as different and yeah um which, as we say in the book, I don't think in the 70s they really were. They were, you know, or in that, or in childhood, I don't think they are. And we joined them as just as their 
13, almost 14, and they're, they are beginning to grow apart as people. So they do this. This is almost the last throw of the dice for their weird interests, and they fake this ghost photograph, and then it doesn't go well. The results <laughs> of that then have repercussions beyond... Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really pan out well for them. Yeah. Um, uh, and my, like I said, my sister and I did this ghost photograph, and we were about. I think I think we were older. I think we were just bored, and then we forgot about it for ages. And then my sister found it years later when she was doing, I think, a foundation course in photography, and she took it in and showed it to her tutor. And he was terrified. <laughs> he was just like, um, I spoke about it recently. Apparently, he came back to her and went, "I can find no evidence of fakery in this photograph." And this is like, <laughs> well, "That's good. Good for you." That's. Uh, but it's. I, I. I remember it being it being quite a bad photograph. But I just thought as a starting point for a story that's really interesting. Yeah. No. It's. It's great, um, and it's. It's so wrapped up in. Uh, in that sort of gleeful childhood kind of. Fascination. I mean, the, so the last uh, this time last year, in fact, I think it was me and Kate Hodges uh, did an episode of the film we t- to talk about the Osborne world of the unknown ghosts, yes, uh, colon yes. ghosts, and um, something about when you're a kid and your mind is so open to the fact that the the, the, the facts presented in these books are sort of. Well, they're facts. I mean, that's it. They were presented then, as uh, and that thing in the yeah. book where Abby and Tim think that science is going to shine a light on ghosts sometime soon that was a real thing people really thought that um science was just going to crack it you know Mm. and there's still some you know i think i think nobody will touch that with a barge pole these days um but the science of it is quite interesting you know you get people talking about quantum nanotubules and you get people talking about uh, infrasound and all these other things and they are interesting but um yeah, it's. So this, um, but you look like you look like a man who really wants to believe that it is actually like. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I. Uh, no, I'm not really. I'm sort of. I quite like the idea that you are, as a human being, you've got these five rubbish senses. Mm. You don't. You've got about seven or eight. But mm. you've got. You know, you, your your perception for understanding the world is really limited. So for anyone to go, I completely understand how everything works. It's yeah. absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, I just don't want to get involved. There's a lot of, in in world of woo, basically. So, um, yeah. And it is just opening the door to a whole world of, you know. So it's best to stay on the fence. It's like it's, it is best to, you know, once again, agnosticism is the strong position here. Open mind's always always a useful thing in this world. Yes. Um, are you, uh, I'm, is Halloween cancelled for you this year? Are you Halloweeny? Uh, we are very Halloweeny in this house. We are going to do um, because my daughter watches a lot of Sarah and Duck and still does because she's Quack. four. Um, Sorry, yeah. that, if you, no, no, everyone. If, if you're a parent and someone says uh, Sarah and Duck, you literally have to be like, "Quack!" It's that, that's the one for the, the duck heads out there. That's one for the parents. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, but um, because on that they do a really gentle version of that called Boo Night. She's obsessed with Boo Night. Oh, We've taken adorable. a trick-or-treating a couple of times and she absolutely loved it. Um, and, but we're not going to be able to do that this year, so we're going to do something at home. Are you going to do pumpkin trails? That's what uh, our Yes, we already is. have done. Yeah, we stuck a pumpkin in the window. Lovely. That is. Yeah. So um, you're supposed to, you're, what you're supposed to do, in, in case any listeners aren't aware of what you're meant to do this year, so that we can have some kind of Halloween, so the uh, <laughs> virus doesn't win, um, mm. is you put a pumpkin out, and then you walk around your neighbourhood 
And when you see a pumpkin, you give your kid a sweet. So we all we all get to. That's to a lovely idea. Join I in. Like uh, mm. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, the first thing I'd like to talk about is your the choice that you made for your favourite scary moment from film or TV. Mm-hmm. And you chose, well, you chose pretty much the entirety of the stone tape. did this is nigel neal's the stone tape from 1972 christmas day it was broadcast broadcast on christmas day on bbc2 you would not make you know that's that's impossible mm. unthinkable now it i i love the stone tape i first saw it when i was about 15 i think when i was um a teenager i was uh there was a bunch of doctor who fans primarily in liverpool who would meet up and they would just share stuff and they would occasionally book like a room in a hotel where they just show things. And it was, it was, it sounds dodgy. It sounds like, I've no, I described love it. it, I was it. but it was like, it's, it's, no that, one's, was you know, that was the thing. And yeah. it's the only way you would see stuff. And I went along cause they were showing stuff that I liked and wouldn't otherwise been able to see. Um, and one of those, and I'd never heard of the stone tape and someone just put it on. It was absolutely mesmerizing. And that's the point of like having belonging mm. to one of those things is that you'd come along and other enthusiasts would bring stuff and you'd, you'd all share stuff. Um, and that blew my mind really. And I just remember thinking it was, it was, I, and still do. I, mean, I watched it yesterday for this and um, mm. it is, it stands up so well. It's just such a brilliant piece of work. This we should probably tell people at home who mm. are, aren't old uh, like me what it's about. Um, yeah, I mean, because pro- I've never probably, seen it. It's yeah. one of those. Yeah, it's definitely it's one of those ones where I I knew it by reputation. I knew it was mm. sort of in the canon of. So I watched it last night. It was the first time my wife watched it, and I loved it. Absolutely, That's loved it. brilliant. So, I'm oh really God, pleased. I mean, yeah. So let's yes, let's 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 do the synopsis first. Okay. It- the stone tape is set in a Victorian house, a large Victorian mansion in which a company called Ryan Electrics are searching, as Mark Fisher notes, apparently coincidentally for a new recording medium. And they discover that the, the room they're designated as the computer room isn't ready yet because the, the workmen refuse to work in there because it's haunted. And one member of the team, Jill, who's... Jill! Jill, Jill. <laughs> Everyone Jill shouts thing. Jill at some point in this production. Uh, Jane Asher plays Jill, and she immediately sees a ghost in there and hears one. And the sound design, because it's about oh. sound, is absolutely staggering. It, to this day, it's absolutely amazing. So she has a shattering experience um, of seeing a ghost and hearing a ghost scream. shares this theory with the others uh this experience with the others and 
they developed this theory, which is uh, a pre-existing theory. Uh, T.C. Lethbridge popularised it, I believe, uh, which is that uh, ghosts are recordings, that they are embedded in the stone of a building, uh, and that they are they are they're not animate in the way we'd understand it. They're just recordings. They're doomed to repeat. Um, which is a really interesting idea. It's now called the stone tape theory. It's now mm. popularly referred to as the stone tape theory because of this. Um, but it's, and then, so basically then the team set about trying to exploit it as a recording medium. And initially they, it, it brings them almost to breaking point and they first, they delete the first layer of recording on there. It's just very strange. Um, so the woman that, uh, Jane Ash has seen, they remove that from the ghost the of a maid. Tape. Yeah. Yes. And then they discover that the room is much older than the rest of the house. Uh, and eventually it's built to a spooky, it doesn't go well. Like it's a ghost yeah. story. It's, uh, um, it, yeah, yeah, they, the peel, they peel away more and more layers of ghosts mm. until it's just ghosts all the way down. <laughs> and it's, it's solid <laughs> ghosts. Yeah. It's a it, but what's, core. What, what I loved about it. Yeah. It's just a core, mm. a solid, it's like, it's like scraping off a layer of wallpaper and there's mm. another layer of wallpaper, but it's ghosts and yes. they just keep on going with ghosts. But it, it, my, you know, I mean, I'm afraid I, I have to do a, a, a a shrill feminist reading of everything I watch, but this is actually like it. This is, it's such an amazing. It's a proper ghost lighty ghost again. Uh, ghost lighty, gas lighty, mm. <laughs> not gas all ghost lighty. Yes. I've yes. invented. A, <laughs> I've not invented a genre. It's pretty much mm. all ghost stories. It's a. Mm. It's a sort of. It's a beautiful uh, gaslighting story of of a woman not being believed for most of the thing. So so she's in a relationship or was in a relationship with this guy called Brock. He's essentially yes, Peter a, Brock. He's who, like a um, Reese's character. He is. He and he just he communicates entirely by shouting. Even the stones got it. It's just very old. 1880. That was when they paddled it in, but those walls are a lot older than the rest of the house. They've just been built onto. In fact, they must have been knocked down and rebuilt and generally mess around a lot in the last thousand years. What? Oh, yes, the foundations might be Saxon. Saxon? Just an amateur opinion. Oh, my God. Informed amateur. If you're right, you see what this means, don't you? They'll be in here, the environment boys, the conservationists, nailing their little notices on the door and writs, and they could stop everything if they got onto this. What about the architect? That architect, didn't he spot anything? Not him, he quit. Right. If we move fast, get everything concreted over, get the machines moved in. Where are the men now? Working on the back. Come on. Don't worry, love. You'll get your storage room. Yeah. That's what he does. He's, um, he's, uh, Ryan Electronics are there because they're trying to record the sound of, um, what is it, the ring cycle in a ball bearing. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to find new a technology. Thing that nobody would ever want. Yeah, so. he's, trying, he's trying to find a new way of recording sound so that he can, oh God, and there's some very eggy stuff about beating the Japanese to the um, audio yes, recording market, which is very important in the 70s. That was. That's not aged well. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah. but actually it, it sort of, the, it's the Michael character. Bryant. Sorry, I was looking that up. It's Michael Bryant. We oh, should he's credit, wonderful. Credit he looks like, Reese's, like a Reese's yeah. character, like really one of those, those small shouting men. 
if Reece Shearsmith was Doctor Who and he regenerated into Andy Nyman, he would <laughs> Or if they had a baby one <laughs> in the lab and they Come had a baby, the, they bundle uh, fly into a little... I was going to say that's a sexy answer, but it's really not. <laughs> like, I mean, it depends what you're into. Mm, um, <laughs> so, he wears very tight um, uh, yellow trousers and his belt's done up too tight like Jeremy mm, Clarkson does, the way that yes. men do to sort of prove they're still a size 32 waist or something. <laughs> so he looks like he's about to burst all the time. Like a, he's like a barber he's angry throughout the whole thing. Furious. He's furious all the time. He, and he's, he's a horrible piece of work. I mean, that's the other good thing about That's it. what's wonderful about it. He starts off being... They've, they've, so the sort of implication is they've... He's had an affair with Jill. Yeah. That's over. But he wants her to keep working for him because of her mind. He says, yes. he says something wonderful. Where is it? Hang on. He says, I wrote it down because I loved it. He, he doesn't he say, says, he shouts it. He shouts <laughs> it. He <laughs> says, You know what this is about? You're getting at me. Mind you, I quite enjoyed your previous ploys. How Christine and the kids, how Timothy's mumps, how's the dog's toothache. Oh, my Jilly. You're a very female one. I need you. I know you weren't keen to transfer, but I need you for your brain. He, he says something. He says something like, "They're relate." You know, we're not. We're not shagging. He doesn't say we're not shagging anymore. He says he says something about the relationship being over, and then he says, "But you're a very female one, and I need you for your brain." Yes, yeah, <laughs> I need you for one. your brain because she's good at computers, which yes. which then was all you needed to say. Show mm. her typing a lot, and then say you're good at computers, and they needed <laughs> and a would... warehouse to keep the bits of computer in. And what we were talking about earlier, which is yeah. the fetishizing of analog technology, this oh, is the yeah. this is the analog ghost story par excellence. They've got a computer that obviously needs a room for it to be. In. Yeah, like and in Superman Two, there's the, yeah. the just that needed a continent. It's so <laughs> yeah. big, and at, yeah. at one point the computer's teleprinter is so loud you can't hit the dialogue. Oh, it's um, great! They'd, yeah, yeah, and they, and, and Jane Ash is really trying to compete with this yeah, <laughs> this Olivetti typewriter. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's loads of that in it, and it's, and it's all Britain. The title but, sequence is magnificent. Oh, it's great, and it, but it starts off with her. She it starts off in a state of horror. That's wonderful. There's no hmm. leading you into it. She pulls up to the house parks her car and immediately two massive trucks which are sort of symbols of the future or whatever the mm. metaphor is come reversing around the corner and nearly squash her in her tiny car her tiny mm. feminine car yes and, then, and um and then no one believes her or gives a shit when she tells mm. them and immediately we sort of started that this is the whole film is going to be this woman trying patiently to explain stuff and she's the only girl as well which i loved she's like I, yeah that's great yeah. i realized halfway through telling the synopsis there that i'd missed out that very beginning bit which is crucial yeah. that she starts it in a state of absolute fear yeah and and and, and brock right. Peter Brock assumes that it's because she wants to shag him again and mm. she's a yes. woman with a, fe- with a feminine brain. I looked yeah. up the script. Have you ever read the script? No, I haven't. I love Is reading it? scripts. I'm just going to, sorry, I've got to open it on history. Here you go. Mm. Sorry, horror lair. There you go, scripts. The, uh, the two vans emblazoned Ryan Electrical Products. One has unloaded, the other is just finishing. Men are shifting bulky apparatus onto trolleys and moving it inside the house. The car driver is Jill Greeley, about 30. There is a very feminine, strong directness about her, so that what she seems far more important than what she does, what she does is computer programming. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. That's, uh, that's sort of weirdly... I don't know. It's a it's a very weirdly progressive and yet awful <laughs> description. It's good screenwriting. I love it's it. I love it. Do, you want, do you want to hear Peter Brock? 
Mm. By the way, introducing characters is really hard, and I think this, I love it when you find a good one in a script. Like Peter Brock, age thirty-five, director of research for Ryan Electrics. He is a man with a lot of drive. His temperament all upswing and downbeat. At the moment, he's on a big upswing, arriving to take over his new establishment. That's great. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's. Yeah. You can see, honestly, the characters are really well drawn. It's got so many good character actors in it as well, and Tom Chadbond's in there, who delivers the the famous line uh, when they're really pushing it to the limit and he goes it's in the computer oh that's such yeah, a great because yeah, brock essentially yeah. goes mad doesn't he because mm. there's this whole amazing subplot which is that yeah he's he's they're there to record audio stuff find the new technology the new thing mm. beat the japanese to the new technology yes happen to come across a ghost and think well that'll be a new way of recording stuff <laughs> which, um, they actually explain it so well i mean i was fine the the, the, the stone records a thing mm-hmm. they get very excited and have a big party which is actually looks like quite a fun party all the men in this throughout are constantly roaring they're just roaring at everything they're all they're all it's constant bants from the men yeah the first time you meet them they're doing a practical joke on, oh on, yeah it's horrible and it's like and it's just like god these people are dreadful yes they're all they're all dreadful and, and yet jane asher in there it's like yeah, yeah, it's, it's poor um, jane asher yes when they go to the pub that's the only yes. other female character in the whole thing is a wonderful mm. this fact there's two there's two wonderful barmaids who i yes. assume are meant to be a couple i don't know there's something going on there but they're Very one is incredibly blousy mm. the big pink blouse huge pink blouse huge blonde hair <laughs> huge cleavage pouring pints and t- and and then and then a, a sort of butch one turns up and they both tell stories about how they used to be good time girls up at the, up the at the Americans. house that was haunted with yes. the Americans. Yeah. Ooh, good and time it's girls. That, <laughs> it's got that brilliant thing that um, Nigel Neal does in that some, it often does, I think, which is where someone throws up a really interesting thing and then it doesn't get talked about. So the woman goes, oh, isn't how I came there once? And they just don't mention it again. It's not important <laughs> to the story. It's a whole story in its own right somewhere else, but it's not in the stone tape. And it's like, no. just, I love that. It's so... You know, from a screenwriting point of view, that's brilliant. Well, it's it's the lovely, um, uh, what do they call it? The chuffer, the sort of dialogue mm. that that isn't important, but is so important because it's not important. The sort of, yes. you know, it's yeah. it's it's the calm before the storm, which we haven't had so far in the script. And then we get up to the, then we get to the pub, and it's just a little bit of comic relief, a little bit of lightness, mm. and then there's a haunted barman who has broken <laughs> from his experiences. <laughs> In that, in the mansion, and uh, uh, and and yeah, has, has to be persuaded. And and yes, it's clear that he has experienced the ghosts in the mm. room. Um, um, but the, the you asked me to isolate one moment from mm. it, and it would definitely be. And this is the thing that stayed with me when I saw it when I was fifteen, and for years afterwards, was uh, the very end where Jill is working late because she thinks she can they've been told to sort of scale down what they're doing um and she yeah so she's working late and then she goes to the room and she comes out and she sees and this i'd forgotten how brilliant this sequence is and how unnerving she sees these two dots these two red lights mm. in the darkness in the corridor and they look like eyes obviously that's the and they're just the way they appear is brilliant i don't know how it was done i presume it's just cso or something but they just they flip up and it's terrifying. And all of a sudden you're like, and then for all of this um, pseudoscience that holds, is the glue that holds this Mm. thing together. All of a sudden you've got this, this, you've got your ghost, you know, and and they've really earned it. And then she flees back into the room 
And then the room is different. The room is reconstructed in the way it would have been when the maid died. And then she sees these things that are these shapeless green things, which look like um, readings of, of sound anyway. So the whole thing is... That's what's so wonderful. Yeah, they're, they're, mm. you can't say what they are, but you know that they have light yes. present. Yeah. But there's it's nothing so, about them that suggests there are faces. There's no faces, there's nothing. No. But they're just... Um, but it's malevolent as well. And you're told that, the, yeah. that later on, you're told that the last reading in the room was 7,000 years old. So you're looking at something very old. And new. Um, but it's, people talk about the special effects in the 70s. You know, it's very sneer that. But here it's just, you know, they've made it almost like a piece of art. And it's just brilliant. It's so unnerving. And so, and using those very limited effects to the capacity, really, and making them as abstract as possible. And then, uh, yeah, it's just amazing, and, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any. Oh, there's a there's a there's the, the bit where she's she's climbing up the steps, which we've seen throughout have no top to them. That yes. they're, 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 whatever floor was that there was there once has now rotted away. So it's just a mm. set of stone steps, which we see the maid falling off over and over again. This ghost that's sort of trapped in her little time loop, and it's very sad and not scary. Mm. It's sad. You feel sad yes. for the maid. Yes. That's really important. Yeah. yeah, because at this point, Jill is feeling nothing but empathy for this for mm. this girl. There's nothing bad about the ghosts until Brock shouts at her, waves her off, and then brings them through. Yeah, because he unleashes the monsters. That's what's so important about it is his, his greed for his greed mm. to beat out a man who wants to invent a sophisticated kind of washing machine, which yes. is the weirdest and yet yeah. Yeah. Fi- the classic motivation for. Uh, <laughs> Storyline um, about there being a mad. Anyway, sorry to go back to the. No, no, no. Um, I know, but I had to remind myself that that's what the motivation is. It's fine. It's completely fine. Totally <laughs> he, fine. Mm. He, he climbs. She climbs the stairs, and then keeps climbing. And, yes. And so the, then she sort of starts climbing up, and then there's this what to me looked like very early uh, green screen. There's yeah. something really weird about the texture of the wall as she's climbing up, and because it's yeah. It's, yeah, it's great. It's like and, and also, why is that wall there? Why is any of this mm. there? And it seems like an open sky, and it's just yes, that's it. It's it like a landscape. Yeah, but, and then she falls off the, which is you know, it's not a brilliantly realised effect, but it doesn't really matter at that no. stage. Well, she has the um, same death as the maid, and uh, yes. you know, so there's yeah. there's a there's a nice echo there, and then it keeps going. Is the weird thing <laughs> that's what's <laughs> odd about it is it's yes. sort of a bit like Psycho and the. You think, should it, you know, how come this is still going? And then it becomes Brock's story. It doesn't pointlessly <laughs> keep going, though. It does. No. It, you get the thing that Brock is such an unpleasant person that he lies basically at Jill's mm. inquest and yes. says that she was mentally unstable, which is a great yeah. sort of, you know, note for both of those characters, really, that she's driven and brilliant and he's horrible and isn't and, and will lie. And her last words are Peter, which is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, (laughs) But also then you get the final Mm. kicker, which is, it could be cheesy in anyone else's hands, I think, Mm. but Peter Brock heads back to the room, (laughs) um, presuming to shout at it some more, and (laughs) he's Jill, and Jill's last moments are embedded 
in the stone as well. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very poetic ending, but it's also, there's just so much in it. There's so much in it about mm. recorded sound, about men and women, about history, about the, the abuses of history, about commercialism, about the, and also about the 70s, the fears of, you know, the Japanese are coming. Yeah. It's everything. It's, it is, it's everything you need to know about what we now call hauntology popular mm. hauntology but it, it is just all in there it's brilliant it's all of television history is contained within the box of delights it was happening in front of us incredible in our living rooms it was amazing guests pick their favorite television moment and tell us why they love it and is this the episode where daisy's just been for the interview at the woman's magazine flaps that's it flaps. yeah named one of radio times best podcasts of the year I don't understand people who don't see the joy in drawing the curtains, mug of hot chocolate and something nice on TV. Like, what could be nicer than that? Than having a snuggle. Exactly. Nostalgia in bite-sized chunks. Box of delights from Great Big Owl. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's so straight as well and so unwinking for that yeah. time. There's yeah. no camp to it whatsoever, not a hint of it. The washing machine stuff, there's a, mm. an enormous, even louder shouting man, Strickland, coming in to... It's, to, it's Sir Dennis from Terry and June. Yeah, yeah. It, it's become, <laughs> it could be a Fry and Laurie sketch. With mm. <laughs> we, should, we should point out, because we keep mentioning the washing machine, we should yeah. point out for listeners at home that... Uh, the Pizza Brock's business rival is working on a washing machine that mm. sorts uh, dyes. It's never really made clear. It's and a very sophisticated washing machine in mm. different ways. And that's uh, the, one of these two projects is going to save Ryan Electric. So it's 50 50, which the, the boss is going to back. Yeah. And eventually, the guy who, the even shoutier man mm. with the washing machine, cracks it and then he becomes the favourite. And it's great because he's enormous and he looks like he's sort of going off to explore the Ar- Arctic or something. He doesn't look like a business a businessman. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he looks like a sort of a, a, a cheap lion you'd hire for yes. a children's party, you know. Yes. <laughs> but he's, every time you see him as well, he's got, because he's, he, he's working with dye all the time, he's got different coloured dyes on his hands. Right. the first time you see him, you get no explanation. So he's just got red dye on his hands. It's I was really wondering weird. if that was my telly. I was like, <laughs> and then it was like, oh, is it a metaphor? Is he mm. red Is he, a, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is at that point. But yeah. it's, then later on, it's just, you know, he's got, he's just got dye on his hands. Um, yeah. But it's, um, it's just great. There's just so much yeah. in it. And I'm watching it again. And this is the hallmark of anything good, I think. Is you watch it again and it's different. 
you're different and it's different. And I found that last night. There was so much more in it than I remembered there being. And there's so many little bits that don't go anywhere that are just really resonant. There's that bit where they find out that they find when they take the partition down in the haunted room, which has been there for centuries, screaming. Oh, when he kicks in the board, kicks in. Yeah, Peter Brock kicks it in because he's so furious because he's got all that pent up anger. But behind it, they find 30 cans of spam. And the, letters of Father, Father the letters of Father Christmas, as someone says. And it turns out, and that's just a kind of throwaway thing, and later on you find out that the letter is a letter to the ghost. Uh, From a little child, yeah. Yeah, Christmas. I can't remember precisely what it says. It's, not, like, it's something like, can you go away? It's something really... Leave simple. me alone. It's plaintive yeah. and horrible. There's a bit where one of the team says... Uh, we just found some cans of spam and somebody says maybe we were, they were feeding the ghost and then Jane Asher kind of whispers maybe they were or perhaps <laughs> they were you know maybe it was this child and it just sketches in that little child or maybe one of the um, Americans and it, you know who had stationed there during the war I did notice the other thing as well is when the when the the one of the good time girls in the yeah. pub is talking about uh, the black serviceman she dated during the war she says he was always talking about guppies guppies that's right and then she says oh duppies duppies he meant and it's a really niche term duppies it's like a it's um it's it means ghost it's ghost thing and it's just and it's not explained a duppy is i think it's duppies isn't it west african i think it's um I could, should probably look this up, uh, but it's it's a term for like an unquiet spirit, and it's like that's oh, amazing, I didn't know that. and it's not explained in the script. No, because because I just remember confusing on screen. Copies of fish. It's a fish woman. Peter, not John. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Peter bellowing back at copies of fish. He's thinking of Fry and Laurie now. I know it, it is <laughs> so Fry and Laurie. <laughs> Damn Marjorie. We're <laughs> Standing in my children, John. Um, it's, I'm like I'm like a doppy it's now. There we are. Doppy, yeah. I, can I tell you my favourite Peter moment mm. is when um, uh, Jane Asher, Jill, Jill. Oh, actually, no. There's two. The scariest bit is when she's telling him about a ghost, mm. and he's he's just sort of acting like she's faking it because he didn't give her a lift. Um, and he just, he kisses her hair and he goes, Jill, 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 <laughs> That is scarier than seeing a ghost. <laughs> Jill, 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 Jill. Um, and the other bit is when he finally, because another man has seen the ghost, believes in ghosts. Yes, finally, it's confirmed by a non-hysterical man. It's very uh, much in character for, for Peter. That, I oh, it's perfect. Yeah, it's, it's some, the nice, the other, the one nice person in it is, Col- is Collie. Is he Collie? Mm. Is that his name? Yes. He's a nice man who believes Jill. Because um, he he convinces uh, Peter that the, the the ghost is real, and Peter hears the ghost, and uh, I don't think he ever sees the ghost, does he? He's not sensitive mm. enough to see it. He hears the ghost, and he but he has this line where he um he he goes, "This isn't some little shade you couldn't get into heaven because the pearly gates were shut. This is something else, something interesting." <laughs> <laughs> Because those things it's not aren't... some fucking bird yes. who's fallen off a step wasn't it boring it's a maid not <laughs> proof of the afterlife it means we can <laughs> we can start recording Mark Bolan on a stone <laughs> we can get a ball buried with a fucking ring cycle on it exactly. <laughs> that's the interesting thing here <laughs> we'll um, listen to fucking Emerson Lake and Palmer <laughs> what's also good about it is the theory behind it all the mm. stone tapes 
stuff is is endlessly interesting and it's always it's much more interesting just being like a dead person because they it struck me this this time watching it that jill doesn't know the limits of what they're doing so she doesn't know whether she pities this woman who might simply be a recording but she's also like a person she died yeah these are her last moments of distress and only only Jill feels remotely respectful towards that. Um, and also this idea that, that, that is in it, which is a brilliant idea, that um, you need a human nervous system for playback, which is astonishing. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. No, it's like, because one of the team is completely unaffected by it. doesn't mm. see anything, doesn't hear anything. Mm. And that's great too, that you've got this, and they all hear different things. It's just great. It's just so, it's yes, so much there to explore. Suggests, um, Peter, Peter Brock's pitch is... Um, a 13 channel earring that you wear in your ear and you'd be able to, and then he, and then he goes, I'm poking everyone and going, you got strictly come dancing. It doesn't say strictly come dancing. He goes, you got come dancing on here, Coronation Street here. It's really modern. Yeah. It is really modern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love Island. Which is, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's Keith it's, and Paddy's movie show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's um yeah naked yeah. attraction it'll be it's, it's all yeah. there it's um but yeah it's 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 yeah, it is it's very it's such a modern it's a, it's really it is really, because it's about modernity um mm. laughing in the face of history and plowing it to the ground without considering the consequences it it doesn't age there's nothing old-fashioned about it even the giant computers don't feel old-fashioned no they don't and mr yeah. james said that um, you should always try and set ghost stories in the past. And from our point of view, Stone Tape is in the past, but you forget at the time that it was completely mm. contemporaneous. Okay, so I asked you to tell me um, what you were scared of as a child, mm-hmm. and you replied with being stranded on another planet. I did because uh, I had a lot of childhood fears um, and I didn't want this to be uh, dreadful listening for people. <laughs> uh, I, didn't want, I didn't want it to be too heavy and I didn't want to uh, go too far into my own life. Uh, so I did choose one thing that was a, a big thing and it sounds quite an abstract fear, but this is rooted in uh, growing up watching Doctor Who. This is late 70s, early 80s Doctor Who. And it would always stress me out massively if they lost the TARDIS. Mm. And this is, this is missing from new Doctor Who, where they go, everything, in the ear of the mobile phone, everything is connected. So mm. in Doctor Who, everyone's got a mobile phone. His companions have a space phone. Mm. It's, all, it's, all, it's all pretty safe. But back then, there was this idea that, if, you know, if Tom Baker lost the TARDIS, he was screwed. That would be it. You'd mm. have to go live and die somewhere billions of years away from where you were <laughs> yeah. born. Yeah. It would just be you know, that fear of being isolated. Mm. I don't no. know where, where's that gone? Where's that fear? I think because everything is connected now and it's, it's, you know, we don't lose things in the way we used to. Mm. And we keep, I keep harping on about this, but it is, it is a thing. The, the idea that, yeah, you're stuck and you're there and that's yeah. it. And I it mean, would stress me out in any adventure story where people went to another world. You'd be like, you know, you're so this is it for you now. And it would really, as a kid, you know, cause a kid, you, it's, it's not, it's not in by any means certain that people are going to get out of these situations. Mm. <laughs> you know, just, yes. You don't know about happy endings. Yeah. You don't. So you're like, God, this is, you know, at the end of it, you go, that was close for the doctor. You know, it's, like, it's it never is. But, um, it's just that idea that you could be a, 
you'd, you'd just be stranded in an environment that was so hostile and unfriendly. And it, it's, it was a real thing as a kid. I remember mm. it was just a bit real. Yeah. It was a, were you scared of, um, were you worried about abduction? No, I wasn't. Because mm. we, I think, were part of that generation where stranger danger was absolutely <laughs> hammered into us. And I did it when we, we went on holiday. I'm an alien abduction, but I didn't. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I see. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant. I think oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. So I went really dark there. Didn't yeah, I? I mean, that would have been, a, that was a lot. <laughs> to Should we start that? Let's start that again. Um, no, I mean, no, I think it was quite funny, but uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. Mm. Do you, sorry, were you were you worried mm. about alien alien abduction? Um, I no, it wasn't really on my radar back <laughs> Just then. Just get fucked um, off a stranger. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> being, sorry. Being, being murdered by a stranger was a big a big theme back then. Um, <laughs> but alien abduction, no, I was. Uh, it, it didn't. It wasn't a thing until. Uh, the 90s, it's it's Whitley Stryber who popularises abduction right. in the popular imagination. So it's it's um, it doesn't it's not really a thing that happened to people before then. Um, I but did just, actually, how are you how are you getting to these these planets in your? Um, I would just ha- yeah because you're because when you're a kid you just think what if you know and you think mm. what if I'm I'm whisked to another dimension by Russell T Davis always said the thing about Doctor Who was he said you know I didn't like Star Trek because I wasn't in the Navy mm-hmm. said, because I couldn't join them on, on their adventures because I wasn't in the space Navy yeah. whereas Doctor Who could land tomorrow and it wasn't right. that I, I believe Doctor Who was real it was I believed that uh, you know it, it, it would, the, the world was strange and unknowable mm. and that you might you know might go on a time bandit style adventure and, it's, and that's in time bandits as well that feeling <laughs> like oh i'm i'm abandoned yeah. he ends up abandoned at the end anyway it's like it's yeah it's um spoilers but um it's yeah it's just a i, I don't know where that's gone mm. yeah I, I, as a child you know you think these, these things seem very possible that you might go yeah. on an adventure and you'll just you'll just never get home you will just never, never get home find again. your way so home. that was the, it was the fear of um so you, as a doctor who fan as a child what was your mm. what was your big scare who was your scariest um i i think it, it's very unfashionable to say this but i think it probably was the daleks because they were um, that unfashionable <laughs> i like that there's fashion trends in <laughs> yeah in, in what you're afraid of but it, it was just they just weren't the reason that they've succeeded mm. where a lot of things haven't and they've endured is because they're not human there's no mm. reference point somebody once said they look like every piece of equipment that could hurt a child and I think mm. that's very good and where i lived where i grew up in uh between where i lived in seacombe on the wirral and uh birkenhead if we walked to, if we went to birkenhead to go get the overground Mm-hmm. This is a boring bit of geography. We'd have to walk through a street in Birkenhead Docks that had electricity substations on the side mm-hmm. of it. It was a Victorian street uh, in the docks, and it had behind these locked doors it had electricity substations. They, they looked like Daleks. They looked like they looked lethal, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's those things of 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 they look they're drab coloured. They're not, you know. They just you know that they can kill, and it's just that. Mm-hmm. That utter alien, you know, alien fascists, I think is the real. So, your last mm-hmm. voice, and I, yes. I fear or phobia you live with now. Yes. And you said. What did I say? What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said going mad. 
which uh, is a legitimate fear, I think. And uh, I think it covers a lot of the things that I'm scared about. Last um, winter, as it was heading up to Christmas, um, I was writing High Strangeness, which is the other thing I should mention, which is the um, audible thing I did, which is I love. Um, But it just meant I was just top down writing every single day. It was literally like 12 hours of writing, writing, writing. And I ended up listening to all of Pink Floyd again, which I haven't done since I was a teenager. Um, And it struck me how much of it um, is... Uh, there's a lot of stuff complaining about being a millionaire, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff about going mad. I mean, the whole of Dark Side of the Moon is about things that make you go mad, um, and also just the stuff about Sid Barrett and things. And I was just thinking how fragile sanity is sometimes. Really, it just is. It's a thing that I I think I've I've always slightly been scared of, and I think I've come. Thank God I've not, not in any serious way, but I think I've had episodes in my life where I've not been entirely sane. Um, and it's ple- it's unpleasant to think of that. And it's unpleasant to think that the, the instruments with which you use to measure the world might all be faulty. And I think that is terrifying. And I think that, you know, to be a human being is just to have, you know, you're just, you are deluded. It's a necessary state of delusion. You get up in the morning, you delude yourself that you matter on the larger scheme of things. You delude yourself that it is worth doing everything you're going to do that day. And it's like, and it's, you know, and doing the things makes them worthwhile and it, it gives them meaning, but you have to inject that meaning yourself. And it's so easy to just, that that's like smoke. It can just vanish instantly. And then you've, what, what are you left with? You know, it's, um, yeah, you're left with that flat world with no affect or, you know, it's it's just a horrible thing. I think it's so close for, to, to you know, and, and I think it's it's always a couple of steps away from people, I think. I think they're not people. I don't know. I think lockdown has been very instructive for everyone in terms of mm. what matters. And I'm playing yeah. again. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fiddling That's around. That's okay. No, um, I people are very interrupt you there, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I think lockdown has been instructive for people because it's forced them to focus on the things that matter. Yeah. Um, and But to live in the world we live in is to live in a world of lunatics often. And it's, it is. It's just, it's... Yeah. It, you know, for instance, like the degradation of the natural world, which terrifies everyone but not to the point where anyone seems to be doing anything about yeah. it or anything. There's no concerted effort to yeah, just, we just march on with the same. And that's just one of the many millions of things you have to live with every day that just don't make any sense. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'm very interested in sanity as a state of mind. Cause I think mm. it's very precious and very rare. And I don't think that's um, valued enough to be honest with you. <laughs> it's uh it's a hard thing to talk about really but uh, i yeah. think you're talking i think you're doing talking about it beautifully I'm, thank I'm, you that's a nice thing to hear that's, I, um, I, I, go on no please no i have nothing to say but glib there's nothing i could say now that, that wouldn't be glib so i'm i'm interested please be honestly it's, no. it's, <laughs> um but i i just I, I think i've come close in my life a couple of times to losing that sanity and i don't like that and i don't mean any any kind of hackneyed sort of i went mad kind of way but you know you do 
reach a point where life is really tough. It would be very easy for me here to just let go of all the things that I've learned. And I've, you know, yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a constant thing, I think. And it encapsulates all the other things. I mean, that's why I brought a dark side of the moon is because it's a list mm. of things that make people go mad, like thinking about dying or <laughs> thinking about money or thinking about, you know, an, or being in an impossible situation, all the things. But, you know, it, they're all just, they all lead to the same place and they all lead to the fact of, of madness. And I find that terrifying. I think I, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the, art of creating about madness because obviously you couldn't make that album mm. while in that state so there has to be some kind of memory or documentation of that and then it being yes. a reflective thing um yes and exactly because sid barrett wasn't in a condition where he could have gone well i'm going to take a step back and look at this yeah. um you know it, and that's that's terrifying there was for him it was his reality he didn't have any way out of it there were no exits whereas everyone else from the outside which you know they could see what was happening to him mm. it was horrifying there's not a lot you can do you know you can be mm. supportive but that's about it so yeah mm. it's just that fear i suppose of the like i said the equipment being faulty that you the thing that mm. you need to survive has been corrupted I think there's so much of that around at the moment. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty much running at virus speeds everywhere, really. Is that everyone is, everyone seems entitled now to their own delusions and their own world. And that is terrifying to me too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's some, I mean, it's, you know, more than one person said people now seem entitled to their own facts <laughs> and their own opinions. And yeah. that is terrifying to me that you are now, you can construct your world unchallenged. Um, and and in this little cell where it's affirmed by other people who share the same delusion, I find that very terrifying. One thing I thought would be interesting to talk about is um, the use of of madness and mental illness in in horror movies and horror mm. books because it's it's such a well-used trope and you sort of forget. And then I was going through the empire list of the greatest horror movies of all time and, and my own favorite horror movies. Well, I was like, oh shit, they're pretty much all about someone who's mentally ill, schizophrenic, bipolar, you know, <laughs> brought, have escaped from a lunatic asylum, all these things, or someone who is convinced they're going mad because they're seeing something supernatural. Mm. And, um, yeah. We, we were talking about a link with comedy, and mm. uh, which we, we haven't done at all in the last hour. Uh, but the one... Oh, fuck comedy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one link is, is, is the unconscious and the fact that post-Freud, you can no longer have a ghost story that you that doesn't have that explanation in it that people have gone nuts. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you have that that and it you know turn of the screw comes mm. out I think it's 1898 it comes out I could be wrong. And then interpretation of dreams comes out I think 1901 but it's it's I'm, I bet both those dates are wrong. But um they're all generally correct. Um the so what you have then is they move into the psychological. I mean you can argue that dimension was always there but you you then it's made explicit. You then have, mm. it might be a manifestation of the fact you've gone mad. Um, and, you know, there are precursors to that. There's the telltale heart and other things, but it's, it's, it really 
becomes part of a toolkit around mm. then, which is good. I mean, stories should evolve, you know. So horror films, you know, the, the bruise that we want to prod with horror, mm. it's just as much about am I ever going to go mad? Am I ever going to lose my mind? What were the horror films in that list that, that were the... The favourites? So I just, started, I just started writing down my favourite horror films. Uh, mm. And this is just things I've watched recently. And I had Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Carrie, yeah. American Psycho, Halloween, mm. St. Maud. Um, and that, all of them, it, with the, I mean, Carrie is about some almost like abilities, but her mum is definitely suffering from a, a mental yes. illness, yeah. uh, which may be a hereditary mental illness. But, th- but those were... That wasn't even me thinking out, oh, what films are about people sort of, you know, with, with, with mental issues. <laughs> and, and why do I think that's okay? I'm so sensitive about other things, but for some reason I'm fine with me- mental illness being represented as, uh, and they will also go and kill people. <laughs> yes, yeah. This is, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also like the stories that, I mean, this is ghost stories again, but I like the stories that take those, that starting point mm. and they do something. I, I mean, I have to go back to The Shining just because it's, it, it, I've always found it fascinating. I think there's a fascinating element to it. And it's not so much about a man going mad as a place mm. that makes people go mad. And that's sort of brilliant. Um, and also the fact that none of... Oh, no, no. It's, I was gonna, it's, it's, the big, it's the big debate with The Shining, whether Jack Nicholson, whether you like the film or the book and whether Jack Nicholson, mm. whether, whether the Jack should start off being a bad man <clears throat> or if, if it's the hotel that draws him out. And I mean, you know, I, I love the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he starts off as, as, as a bad that. man who was then mm. given permission to unravel and, do, <laughs> yeah. and be worse, and mm. and that's fine. It's just, it just it, it's really interesting because in the book he doesn't kill anyone; he's only a danger to himself, which is why I think the film is is superior in a lot of ways because he is, you know, he's a. It's it's not as exciting in those mm. terms to have him. You know, if he doesn't kill anyone, then he's, he's you know, he's annoying because <laughs> he's a <laughs> danger to himself. But, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know, it's a funny one, that one. Can I return to the Empire list of... You can. ...the top 50 films of all time? So, mm. Get Out, Am I yeah. Going Mad or is something yeah. bigger are going these, on? Are these people awful? Yeah. So, yeah, Psycho. I mean, you know... There's no mental <laughs> There's no... Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, then you've got your mon- and then it's then it's then there's monster supernatural American werewolf vampires ring zombies and then Carrie Rosemary's Baby absolutely yes yeah. couldn't more but I mean there's nothing there's no monsters in it until the last no no, you no. Know. That's, yeah until there's, the a, there's a woman having some bad dreams and mm-hmm. everything and else is am I going mad it's a it's I mean the gaslighting overlap mm. um, between mental illness and is there ghosts is is that is that what we're actually all scared of? I don't know. I think there's. <laughs> I just always wonder. I mean, like writing ghost stories, I always wonder how you'd react if something completely preposterous happened in front of you, like something levitated or something. Like, what would you actually, you know, what what would you do? What would you think? How would you react? And it's just <laughs> that, that sort of, you know, because at that point, one of two things is going on. Neither of them good. Um, but you've, you know, either there's something in the room with you which is causing things, or you've you've lost it. You know, it's like you've <laughs> left the shore and you're drifting free. Yes, and which is scarier? Which would you yeah. rather believe? Yeah, there's a line in, in the book actually where I said um, Tim says, uh, "Is it scarier to believe somewhere is haunted or that nowhere is?" Yeah. I think that's a really interesting 
question. It's like, is it comforting? People go, you know, like, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but they sort of believe in life after death. It's really like, that doesn't add up. Um, Or they don't, you know, and it's like, it's again, the thing we were talking about earlier about Mm. that people can, they they are deluded necessarily. We, we are deluded. We are people. Um, But it often pays to not examine it too closely because it's all quite contradictory and a bit, you know, so yeah, it's, um, I, I find it very unsettling that, that we don't give these things perhaps mm-hmm. as much thought as we should. Uh, yeah. Do um, you have a, do you have a, a favorite, um, or least favorite story of, um, I think the best is turn of the screw. I mm-hmm. just think it's, it's just so special and so brilliant. And mm-hmm. it just is one of those things where, um, it's, it can be read any number of ways with equal legitimacy. You can read it and it's, mm. it's about a lady going mad or mm-hmm. it is about ghosts and it's about violent ghosts. And it's mm. about, you know, and it, and it's, it's never admits of the same reading twice. You can read that. It's, I, I, that's why I like, I like stories where you come back I like the shining and like psycho. Mm. Every time I watch psycho, it's a different film. Mm. Um, and because you're different and because but it's it's more than that. It's like sometimes psycho is hilarious. You watch mm. it, it's very, very funny. And sometimes you watch it, it's just incredibly bleak. And both of those readings are permitted. But I think Turn of the Screw is I haven't read Turn of the Screw in years, but I just mm. remember it. Have you read um, The Yellow Wallpaper? Oh, I love the yellow oh, wallpaper. Yeah. I just read yeah. that recently and I was like, Oh God, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's, nothing, yeah. nothing. It's so short. You can't even pitch the plot without, um, <laughs> without explaining <laughs> it. So just go and read it. It costs a pound. Yeah. It's like a very thin, short story that you. It's a Dover get. edition, isn't it? It's yeah, like, like it's a, a, it a Penguin Classic yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's a wonderful oh, so story. Good. A woman hates um, some wallpaper. Yeah. Or like, yeah, yeah it's fucking great. Um, mm. <laughs> the fact that using a, using wallpaper is interesting because in the in the Shining, it's the carpet. Mm. Uh, which is the big objective correlative for you, you're losing your mind. Mm. And, you know, that carpet is horrible. Uh, but the, the wallpaper as well. Um, just... Sorry, can I just show you something? Oh, this wasn't planned. I'm wearing my shining socks today. Hey, excellent. <laughs> there you go. I do love that. I do love that that pattern is coming back <laughs> for the in. the listener at home, I <laughs> certainly <laughs> Sarah has just shown me her socks. From it quite was, a long uh, way uh, away. And it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but that, yeah. So it's using those things and having mm-hmm. the sense to go... If you looked at that thing for long enough, you'd go mad. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's brilliant. I mean, it's just, yeah. Um, I like the fact you, you know, the the yellow wallpaper is left up to you what that looks like, because that's your nightmare. Um, I I just do love that. I love that idea. Yes. I I do find it interesting that uh, we accept so readily that that, the mental illness is the start of turning into Patrick Bateman or because it's it's the one sort of and I'm sure that there must be people who have well there are people who've written these beautiful essays on why we shouldn't let this happen in horror and we should be more sensitive and stuff like that but I do find it rather well, I don't yeah have a problem with that being used as a mm. you know I think it's very much part of the territory and it's sort of you know and if you can't it's a place where you ask interesting questions and you know speaking of someone who's had mental health issues mm. which we're not going to go into here um it, it's never really I've never really even noticed it I mean I'd noticed it was like spectacularly offensive but I you know generally I find the genre in, in and horror in general it, it tends the standard of storytelling tends to be higher than it is in a lot of other drama Mm. Because it, it places such restrictions on what you can do and what's acceptable in terms of 
um, it's very easy to do bad horror, and I think horror fans mm. are very discriminating against, the, you know, so when something is genuinely excellent, mm. like you and I went to see St Maud last week. We did go to see St Maud, yes, back in the time yeah. when we were allowed to mingle households, which is point yes, out exactly. at home. That's uh, uh, a, a nostalgia <laughs> trip for everyone at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those you guys, the remember days. when you go to the cinema with your mates? Oh, that was, the day. that was the day we and a half in London. <laughs> <laughs> But actually um, it, it's the same thing. You came away from that going, Oh fuck, it's brilliant, it's it's mm. feminist horror and it's about loneliness and was really fascinating. And actually, yeah, it does still have that same thing of people who hear voices in their head will mm. do harm to themselves or others. And and we take that as a horror is normally so moralistic horror is normally yes. like if you're racist you will get come up and if you yeah. exclude people from society or if you if you treat people cruelly terrible things will happen to you and that's the yeah yeah it's the essence of the horror story is always yeah. I did a lot of obviously thinking about this when I was writing the book the mm. essence of the horror story is always somebody does something bad and they are punished and yeah. that's it and what the bad thing is shifts over time but you know it's uh, and it is always that it's you know there's a there's a there are different varieties of horror story but it tends to be that and it is you're right it's a puritanical device but um, yeah oh but but don't because it's cathartic this is again mm. going back to why we love horror so much in these yes. dark yeah. times when no yeah. one gets any comeuppance of any kind <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah literally <laughs> there's no consequences for anybody who does anything bad anymore so yeah. yeah. That's I wonder, I, I'm now just, you know, I won't even leave this in, but I'm now just speculating <laughs> on how you flip that trope and do the get out version of <laughs> the person with mental illness is actually the only same one or something, you yeah. know, there's something in there that's like, how do we flip that trope? Yeah. You know? I mean, look, um, one of my, I talked about one of my favourite examples of this, so the other one I forgot to mention mm. is They Live, which is just absolutely fantastic. They right? Oh, They Live! Oh, yeah. yes! But that's another it's Gaslight just, anthem, you know? It's just marvellous. The bit where Roddy Piper comes into the bank and starts shooting everyone, you, <laughs> you get to see it from people's perspective, and you just yeah. think, well, this guy's just gone mad. He's gone mad. And it's brilliant that it's, um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's those ones where, as well where it's like the, the, the release of madness, the, you know, madness comes as a release, and those are, mm-hmm. those are the ones that always get under my skin and stick with me for a few days, which is like Brazil. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. I mean, for all that Terry Gilliam is a terrible human being these days. <laughs> he did not make some good films back in the time, in the it's before time. Bleak. It's so bleak, the end of his life. Oh, but yet also yeah. wonderful, and which one yes. would you rather have? Well, this is also... Yeah. Some more. I mean, uh, you know, yes. from her perspective, it was all pretty great. You know, yes. it's like, um, yeah, well, it was all, yeah, that's uh, it. Oh, I'd love mm, to well, say more I'd things. Probably, I'd love to say more I things know. now, and I, <laughs> until more people have seen St. Maud, um, mm, we can't, yeah. it's roped off. Go and uh, see St. Maud. Uh, no, um, got vi- video on demand it or whatever the yeah, thing. It's whatever really good. Have now. Yes, yeah, it's very, very, it's good, very good. good. And it's the same thing when It Follows came out. I mean, that was the mm. other thing that, that lit up horror fans. And it's, I honestly think that's the best horror film of the last 10 years, just mm. for a lot of reasons. But also, again, an incredibly moralistic film. It can be read as a sort of, you know, you have to have sex with someone to get rid of it. It's like, it's a, it's a you know, what could this be about? It's, um, it's just, <laughs> it's... It's subverting it's, uh, that trope, isn't it? I tell you what is. I loved about It Follows as well is that it was, it was an original enough idea to be included in the horror genres that they did in Lovecraft Country. Right. You've seen it yet, or, I mean... I, I haven't yet, no. It's been my... Oh, my favourite thing in the mm. world. Um, but each episode sort of takes 
a very classic horror genre, you know, the, the haunted house mm. uh, and, and uh, the, the monster movie, um, it, it really classic joke. And then, and then it does one episode that's an it, an it follows episode. Right. Like that is, if you've entered the pantheon of standard tropes. Um, <laughs> very quickly as well. Very yeah. quickly. It took um, less than a decade. Yes. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend anyone seeking catharsis in horror. Lovecraft Country. Mm. I watched um, I watched 10 seconds with my wife. She's like, no, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's like, I think that's why. So, I, I, think I understand that. Yeah. I understand people's reaction to that. It's like, I think the minute that the Cthulhu appeared, my wife's like, this is not for me. No. You know? I think yeah. if you don't like gore, you'll hate mm. it. And if yes. you love gore, you'll love it more than any gore you've ever seen. It, it, it's like the it. best, the best gore. Yeah. Uh, gore with a point, always, mm. always wonderful. No, I was just going to say, this, um, the final choice I'd make for uh, going mad horror mm. is mm. Hangs a Man by Shirley Jackson, which is a brilliant <gasps> novel. And, well, I, I think it's, I mean, I love The Haunting of Hill House. I love mm. We've Always Lived in the Castle, but that's my favourite of her books. Um just because she writes about aberrant mental states a lot. I mean, that's mm. in every book, explicitly in things like The Bird's Nest. But most, it's not, it's a, yeah, the, <laughs> the aberrant mental state in that book is that she's very bright and that's enough. She's very smart and she's surrounded by people who sort of, you know, are not well disposed to that and it's how she copes with it and the sort of bleakness of it and the, yeah it's just a great piece of work it really is and it's just and you can draw your own it, again the ending is very ambiguous and you can draw your own mm-hmm. conclusions but i think it's absolutely a sort of tour de force that book yeah cool i, just, I, yeah. Just, I will seek that out well I, I think we've covered just about everything in the world. <laughs> this have. has been so great well thank um, you well mclean thank you so much for joining me and unpacking your fears with me uh i've really enjoyed this conversation a lot mm. um i hope listeners have as well um what um what are you what have you got what are you working on uh, you've got the apparition phase i have um the apparition phase which is out on it'll be out when this is out i think so uh it's when, 29th of october 29th fantastic so, so there this, we go for Halloween, it's ghost season, everyone. It is. Ghost book. It is. This is the spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, and and you know, I, I really that's that I really put a lot of work into that book. I read a lot of ghost stories and I watch a lot of ghost stories and I really really want to write a. a it is a, all a, of the ghost stories. It is fantastic. It is a man yeah. obsessed by so ghost I, stories. Mm, and, uh, yeah. I think that comes across. <laughs> so, I, think it, I think that does um, come across. It's great. And at the other end of the scale, I have um, there's an audible thing I've written called High Strangeness, which I mentioned earlier, which is a um, one of the reviewers said a Lovecraftian comedy, uh, which is kind of yeah, it's a comedy genre. Sorry, no, no, it's no. not. It's, it's, it's not. Um, it's not that it's, kind of uh, Lovecraftian. No. <laughs> Guys, come on. Um, it's uh, so it's a it's a comedy drama, and it's about the paranormal. And it's about one of the more esoteric theories of the paranormal. It's John Keel's theory of ultra-terrestrials who are... It's the theory that all paranormal events, flying saucers, lake monsters, whatever else, are all um, manifestations of creatures from other realities. Mm. So that's... Hence, it's a it's a kind of catch-all. John Keel wrote The Mothman Prophecies, which I think is, is one of the great sort of cosmic Joker books. Um, and... Because uh, I'm not entirely sure how much of it is flim flam and how much of it is real, but it's a great book, um, and it does kind of open your mind. You really, you you just start to think how 
maybe these things are practical jokers. I mean, maybe that's all they want. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's, and that's, yeah, that's thrilling. Maybe they're, maybe they're just awful. Maybe we're just on interdimensional beetles about. You know, Fantastic. It's like, and so all of that stuff's in there. And in, in this, they're much more threatening than that. But it was so much fun to do. It. Um, it's got Sophie McSherra from Downton in it. And it's got Adam James from I May Destroy You. And Anna Chancellor from loads of great things. And it's got, the cast is absolutely stellar. It's got, it's, it's just a fantastic cast. Better than we could have hoped. Better than we could have got for television. Um, because <laughs> cause it's audio. Um, and they all brought their A game. And I love it. it, it honestly, it's, um, I'm so happy. So, mm. apparition phase, high strangeness. Fantastic. Yes, and can you, on, are you, can you bear to be on social media? Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's probably the best place to find me. I think it's Will Mag Writing. Uh, that's yeah, so I just basically post spooky things that I like. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of it, really. Mm. Awesome. Will McLean, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Not at all. Happy thank Halloween, you. everyone. Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, yeah, have take a socially care of responsible and distanced Halloween. Enjoy your right. pumpkin trails. Stay in and use a Ouija board, something harmless like that. It'll just be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's a good, you know, it's a healthy distraction. What's, the literally, whole what's the worst that can happen at this point? I mean, come on, guys. Come on, guys. <laughs> a fan of all things geeky you're going to love con sessions a brand new podcast by comedian matt Hinton and myself beck hill where we interview your favorite cult heroes at comic cons all across the world we've got stars from star wars harry potter the walking dead and more make sure you tune in soon to con sessions Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.